a pleasure to be here this morning. Thank you so much for uh, for giving. Well, let's see. Maybe you're going to give for giving me the opportunity of spending some time with you. Um, you know, uh, it says in Colossians, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, one another in psalms and spit in hymns and spiritual songs." And uh, and we just sang together some amazing truths and and let's see i'm feeling i'm getting feedback are you feeling that is this because of where i'm standing okay i hate standing on the platform okay i uh, uh most most of my most of, of my classes are not this big so so i feel comfortable in that setting anyhow the worship team did a super job at, at helping us to understand. And if, if we, if you really listen carefully, we could just dismiss right now and uh, because the message has been so clear already. We sang it to one another in, uh, and it, it was uh, an amazing opportunity for us to listen and to uh, hear God's word and God's truth in song. Um, and so thanks, thanks, worship team. Thanks, John, for, uh, for the work there. Um, it's, um, it's a joy to be with you guys, I, with all of you. I, uh, I want you to know how much I, Libby and I and our family have appreciated your partnership in ministry for, for so many years. I'm, I'm sure that when you, when you took on a, a 49-year-old in ministry, you probably thought, well, he's going to stick around for maybe five years, ten years at the most. And, and here I am. 26 years later, I'm still doing stuff. <laughs> I didn't, I, you probably didn't realize your commitment was going to be that long. <laughs> and, and, and lo and behold, you're still doing it. And so it's, uh, so thanks so much for that. that it's just a joy to me. Um, uh, I was, I was standing, I was standing at, um, at a, at the checkout counter at Kroger's. Um, and I think they hired me because I was scanning my own groceries and bagging my groceries and then paying for my groceries. You know, I think I've become one of their employees. Um, one of the reasons that happened is because I'm, because I'm not very patient. Uh, you know, I looked at the line, I looked at the line and I saw that, you know, five or six people were standing in line with, you know, big carts full of groceries. And, and I just didn't have the patience to do that, so I, so I decided I was going to go over to self. I mean, have done that, okay? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, Mike is my favorite cashier. Uh, cashier. I mean, he he's really fast, but you know, he just didn't seem like he was that fast, fast enough for me to stand behind all those people. And uh, and I think that stores have discovered that people are willing to do this, and so they're capitalizing on on people's impatience. Uh, I remember when I was a cashier at a drugstore, uh, people would come and, and we would look at the item and, and we'd see the price and click the price into the register. And then, and then uh, you remember those days? And then, and then if people paid by cash, you know, they'd dig in their wallet and they would try to fumble around getting their, their money out and hand it. But if they, get, they were doing it with a credit card, you know, we'd give up this huge gadget and, and, and they'd put the credit card there and a piece of paper and ching, 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 you know, try to get, does anybody remember that? Yeah, it was a real wonderful process of getting to know people, 
you know, everybody, everybody that was there, you know, we got, we got to know all the customers very personally because, uh, because it took so long. Uh, there are no baggers. Uh, some of you were probably saying, you know, how did you get to, what kind of jalopy did you travel to, to, uh, to work with? Uh, but the truth is that um, uh, that's, that was the experience that we had back then. <laughs> is, is this my fault? Is it, uh, okay. <laughs> is that going to be better, you think? Okay. Shoo. Andy doesn't deal with this, does he? Okay. Hey, listen, this is, I'm, I'm talking about patience, and the Lord is teaching me something right now. This, this is a bad subject for me to talk about this morning. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing that, uh, that even now people are wondering why they had to wait behind three customers, you know. Why isn't the manager opening up more lines so that we can get through really fast? And, um, and I'm not even talking about fast food. Um, I, now, you don't even have to talk to a, a, cash, a cashier. Or you don't even have to, have to talk to somebody behind your register. You can just go and punch in your own food order. And, and here's what's really amazing. You know, there, when, when we come into like a fast food place and there's tons of cars in the in the line waiting to get food you know sometimes i just i just park the car in my impatience and run in to 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 get uh, to get the food and and then when i came back out my wife said well the car would have been behind left 10 minutes ago so so even when even in my impatience i'm i'm not i'm trying i must be learn uh, responsible to learn patience and um and then how many of you have been behind, uh, you know, sitting in a stoplight and the light turns green and the person behind you starts beeping their horn and uh, you discovered the definition of a split second. <laughs> Obviously, companies have realized that we live in a place where, where speed's valued. We're in a hurry-up world. We don't have to go to the store anymore. A couple clicks on the computer and we can have something the next day. We don't have time to talk to people anymore. You know, all we do, you know, basically all we need to do is text them, and and uh, because we don't have time, we road rage is becoming a national dilemma. On the other hand, when you think about it, um, waiting is a part of life, isn't it? The average person spends three days a year waiting in line, 13 hours in automated customer service. Uh, you know, it, it's really interesting. Now you, they say, okay, you're, you're waiting, your wait is maybe 30 minutes. If you want me to, them to call, call you back, they'll do that. Uh, the average person spends 146 hours waiting for friends who are late Thirty-six hours, thirty-six hours waiting in traffic. Um, uh, I read that the average person uh, 
spends time just, uh, just waiting on the phone. It's interesting to me when I hear people gripe that, uh, that when they're in foreign countries waiting for things as if you, they're not wait, they don't have to wait for anything here in America. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's incredible to me. We all experience the world's perspective or culture as the enemy of patience. I think um, things that people have today lead to an attitude of impatience. Why wait when you can get in a hurry? The sale ends on Monday. Someone has said, the sad fact is that the desire for speed and hurry has affected religion more than anything else. People want instant comfort, instant satisfaction, instant salvation. In light of that, I think it's really important for us to, to look at the passage of scripture that's on, if, you have your, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1013. And, um, and get the biblical perspective on patience. Look at the, let's look at the passage today. Did you see what it says in verse seven? What are the first two words that James talks about in verse seven? In, 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 in verse 7 of chapter 5. Yeah, be patient. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the, late, the uh, early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of patience and suffering, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It's particularly interesting that after after he wrote this, in the last part of this, of this uh, book, he writes it right after he says that life is a mist. It would seem like if, if life is short, then we, we, we ought to get things moving along, right? We just don't have time. That's what the world's saying. It's saying there's a little time for patience, but in, James says instead, life is short. But God is eternal. Trust him. Which brings us to the most important consideration when we're talking about people in situations that demand patience. It's not only that we should get used to times that are inconvenient. When a desired outcome is not happening and when the present is troubling or frustrating or the future is unclear and unsettling. It's not that we should just get used to it. But James is talking about let's use it. It's very strange, to, it's very, very interesting to me that, that James ends this book with this, with this uh, statement, with this plea, with this command, this uh, motivation. The same way he starts the book, you know, he, he starts the book by talking about that, that patience is impo it's important in our life. In, um, uh, he, he says that we need to be patient because uh, 
because it's patience that leads to the area of, of being mature. And now he ends this book with the, with the same kind of, of urging, the same kind of information. The, the interesting thing about this is that when, when I was preparing this time, the text was constantly reminding me of my own lack of patience. I've been confronted with this emphasis over and over again as I've studied this passage. We need to think about it again as we start this new year. And that's why I chose to spend some time talking to you about it. First, let me try to define what patience is. Patience is responding with a settled confidence that God has everything under control. Let me repeat that. Patience is a settled confidence that God has everything and responding that way as if God has everything under control. He, he uses two words here. Um, the first word is, uh, it means patience with people, patience under circumstances. The other one means endurance or being steadfast in times of trouble, in times of suffering. But basically, both of those words are pointing to the same thing. And that is the, 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 the opportunity we have of realizing that God is, is doing something. He's, he's working behind the scenes. He's doing things in, our, in the behalf of believers. And that we just need to understand that, uh, that he's working. And, um, and this is really a part of what he's doing. He's wrapping up the book with the same advice that he gave at the beginning of the letter. When he says, count it all joy, my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Maturity, wisdom, faithfulness, accountability are things that come when we have patience. And remember, he's writing to those who are scattered. He, he, he talks to, the, to people that are scattered, um, to Jewish people that are scattered all over the, the, the known world at that time. And these people had no position, no clout, no authority. Maybe they were in a strange place and they were looked down upon. They were, maybe they were disparaged. Maybe they were, maybe they were even discriminated against. James already talked in the first part of this passage, in the first part of chapter 5 about those who were um, abusing their power and taking advantage of believers. And so in addition to that, they, were, they had no doubt suffering for their faith in Christ and their testimony for Jesus Christ. So James is giving advice to those who are there in this situation. In time of trial, he says, for them to consider this particular thing. James says that they have a godly responsibility they must be patient now you know you, you might think well okay there are some people that are just given to patience and there's others that are like type B personalities you know they 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 want to get things done you know type B personalities they, you know they're the patient ones and and I, I want you, I want you to understand that um, James is this doesn't have to do this has nothing to do with personality James is encouraging his brothers to trust, and that affects their, rea their reaction to life circumstances. He's not talking about letting things flow over you. Do nothing about it. This is an active term. There is intentionality here. 
Therefore, even when there's ugly, remember the passage starts with therefore, brothers. Even when there are ugly people who are taken advantage and ruthless, as we see in the first part of the chapter, when you're helpless, be patient when the situation is developed, leaving you with a sense of hopelessness. Be patient. Tension, pressure, urgency is how the world reacts because it's thinking all about me. Faith assures you that God's timing is best. Now, if it's so important, what are the essentials that James says will promote a patient and steadfast life? This passage provides three realities that build our faith and lead to to uh, the practice of patience. And these are not, by the way, these are not in order, but they are in the order that we see them in the text. Did you notice he says, he says, brothers and sisters in this text. Um, actually, he says, brothers. Um, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Um, then, he, then he talks about, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Example of suffering and patience, brothers. Over and over again in this particular passage, he talks about, he, he talks about in th three times he uses the term brothers in these five verses. But, but the whole book of James is a book that is given to family. He uses the term brothers 15 times in this book. And, um, and in those 15 times, he, he, he encourages the brothers not to be deceived, to be swift to hear, to, not to be prejudiced, to remember that, that faith is shown through life, to know that teachers are teaching by their life as well as by what they say to watch their speech, to, and, and, and over and over again, he says, to, and then to be patient. So over and over again, he's talking to brothers, and, and then in this particular passage, he says, one of the essentials that promote patience is that we're part of a family. He is committed to writing a book to help those he cares for, those who are scattered abroad, because of persecution, and when he comes down to the very end, he gets, he gets very, very personal. This is family business. We can't forget this. We have to, you have to take this seriously. When a, when a spiritual family works right, it provides a platform for patience. Um, most of you don't know this, but... Uh, but uh, I worked at Grace Baptist Church for 14 years before the, before the senior pa pastor uh, resigned. And, and at that particular time, I resigned at the same time, thinking that, that probably I would be able to do something, you know, I'd be able to do something that would be uh, uh, a part, another, in another church, maybe doing the same thing that I was doing at Grace. And, um, and one of the deacons came to me and said, you know, Byron, uh, I, I, want you, I don't, don't want you to be discouraged, but, um, but you, know, you, should, you know, a lot of times these kinds of things take, 
a couple years. You know, a couple years from when you leave one ministry to when you come to an, into another ministry. And, and that seemed like an, pretty unreasonable, but his words became prophetic. Now, don't get me wrong, I found a job. Someone hired me to do construction work. They gave me a hammer, and they gave me a broom. They, I don't remember them letting me touch power tools. Um, some people in the church uh, asked me to do some painting in their house. Uh, they gave me a brush and a roller. They didn't ask me to remodel their house for some reason. Um, I pumped gas at, a, at a, a gas station in town. That's back when you, know, you actually had somebody come out and put gas in your car. Yeah, I did, I did that. And, and it was really interesting because you know I'd been a pastor in Grace for 14, 14 years, and, and there's a whole different perspective that you can get you know, on a community by pumping people's gas. Um, it was, it was, it was a, a good experience for me. I roofed houses, I'm afraid of heights, so that wasn't a really good idea. Um, and, and then the new pastor came to, to our church and he called me one day and he said, would, would you be willing to be the janitor? And apparently he found out I could use a broom, so he called me and asked me if I'd janitor. And, and so, I joined the church staff again as the janitor. Um, in all this time, I had the opportunity to visit lots of churches. You know, I was, I, I went and I, and they interviewed me and I, I gave my application form and my resume and, and all the churches that I really, really liked, they were unanimous in not liking me. And, um, and all the, and, and the churches that I didn't think I would fit very well, those are the very churches that said, you know, we think you, you know, we think you'd fit here. So, so it, was a, it was really a, an exercise of, of, you know, it could have been an exercise of frustration. But this was God's preparation, preparing time for us. He used that very time, that parenthesis in my life, to open my heart to something I would never have, have dreamed about. I wonder what God's doing in your life. Is he, what is he preparing you for? What's in, what does he have in store for you next? I really believe that God prepares each stage of our life for what he has for us next. He did the same for Abraham, for Moses, for David, for the disciples, for Paul. God often puts us in a place to practice patience so that we'll be prepared for what he wants in our lives. And how did God use the church family? Well, over and over again, in our experience with uh, people at Grace. They were not saying I should get a job in another church. It was interesting because more than one person came to me and said, you know, you should be a missionary. I can still remember them coming to me and I can still remember their names. They, there, was, uh, there, was, there were guys who were, who were involved in, in various areas of, uh, of uh, Various kinds of, of work, various kinds of occupations. There was, a, there was a missionary that came to me saying the same thing. And who would, in their right mind would consider somebody that was 49 to be, to be on the mission field? Um, when I resigned from grace, it was definitely not even a part of my consideration. It was way out of my comfort zone. But God used, but God used this time in the church family to change my thinking and to encourage me and to challenge me. 
And then I remember when, my, when the pastor that I'd worked with for 14 years gave me a call and he said, Byron, I know where you should be. I know exactly where you should be. Okay, I, I don't know, if, has anybody ever said that to you? You know, I know where you should be. And, um, and I said, where? And he said, uh, I just got back from Russia and they, talked to, and they were talking to us about what they needed and, and, we, and it's you. And, um, and so, the, so I went to Pastor Graham and I said, what do you think? And he became my biggest cheerleader. Um, it was amazing. Uh, his desire to really see me being, flourish in, in ministry. And that was 26 years ago this past summer. I, um, oh, brother. I'll never forget the opportunity that the Lord gave us as we were involved in, um, in the commissioning service, as the, as the church just gathered around us and prayed. And, um, and desired the best for our lives. So, so what does the church do? The, ch the church is involved in several things here. First of all, they, they encourage us the, as a family. They encourage us to be involved in, in, in various things in our lives. I mean, here's, here's what James did. He said, he said to the people he's writing to be patient. The second thing that he, he did was, was he gave, gave some, some really, really important considerations that they need to follow. He said to them, he said, don't grumble. Don't be grumblers. I wonder, I wonder about that sometimes. I, um, uh, we do need a course correction. We need, we need somebody, let me, let me go here. We need somebody who is, um, who, who comes to us and says, hey, you know, I think there's some things in your life that you need to correct. And that's exactly what James was doing. And, in, and he was saying, don't grumble about each other. It seems to me like maybe, maybe some people were grumbling because things weren't going their way. And so they were grumbling about why that things weren't going their way. And, and then other people were grumbling because, because they thought that that um, uh, just because these people were complaining was, with, uh, was, was not correct. And so it could be that, uh, that there was two sides of grumbling. Some were grumbling about what was happening and others were grumbling about the fact that they were dissatisfied. Whatever the situation, they were not patient. They were not really focusing on what, what, what God was doing and obviously that James is pointing to one of the main indicators of impatience, and that is what's coming out of our mouth. Jesus said that our heart is an overflow of our mouth. Instead, God wants us to focus on trusting him and helping others to increase their trust in the Lord. God knows what we need. He understands his intentions are that we grow in faith. James also reminds us that we have examples. You are not here at Maranatha only because of the advantages that you can get out of this church. If that's the case, any difficulty, 
any disagreement, any struggle will be an excuse to complain or leave. No, you're here because of what the Lord has done. He has put you together in this family. And families stick together, especially in tough times. And what's really interesting here is that we're going to be talking, he, he, uh, James goes on and talks about this whole area of examples later, but, but what it does, it, it helps us to realize that people are watching our lives. And there's things that are going on in people's lives that are examples to us of how to approach life, how to trust God in the midst of suffering. Because anything that you're enduring, somebody else in this church has also endured. And it's an example for you to understand and, uh, and to be taught by. The second thing that I saw that's part of the essentials that promote a patient and steadfast life is that we have a helper. Did you notice it says that um, in this passage, it says that, they, that there's, that, uh, the coming of the Lord, that the coming of the Lord, therefore, brothers, wait until the coming of the Lord. And it says, the Lord is at hand. It says, the, in the name of the Lord. And it says, the purpose of the Lord. And it says that the Lord is compassionate. I just want you to understand that we have the helper. He is coming. Um, the harvest is not, does not come because of the finesse of the farmer, but because of the goodness of the Lord. The word of God is fulfilled not because of the influence of the prophet, but because of the unswavering authority of God. The blessings came not because of the confidence of Job, but because of the compassion and mercy of God. So, so you know the Lord is coming. Do you understand the statement? is one of hope and comfort and joy for the believer. That's why John says, even so come Lord Jesus. It's, um, it is what helps us carry on. The Lord's coming and the very, and every time we consider this and trusting in this truth, that should bring comfort to the, to the believer. We are going, we might be going through tough times, but this is not all there is. Our Lord has something so much better in store for us. Uh, Paul said, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Also look at the passage. It says, he is near. Don't think of the Lord. Um, don't think that because the Lord hasn't come yet that he isn't, isn't coming soon. We're not talking about a distant God. The very idea that his coming is imminent points to the fact that we have access to the Lord every moment of our lives. He is at hand. His word is, is near. He's our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. He's judging. When things are out of our control, when there's evil people doing evil things and have wicked intentions, we can trust the Lord to deal with them. We don't need to take matters in our own hands. James is writing to Christian brothers and sisters that are enduring evil and malicious things. That's what the first part of this chapter talks about. Many had no, no ability to respond. I just, uh, we just learned, uh, we have a missionary in, in India and we just learned about this, the ravages that are going on among Christians in India. 
You know, it's happening all over the world. I mean, Christians are suffering all over the world, and, and it's, it may be coming here. But the same judge that deals with wicked gives, us, that gives hope to the believer. Please understand that. We have assurance that we have a righteous judge who judges on the basis of what he has done. And he's compassionate and merciful. Never forget that when you're having difficulties. God is compassionate. Isn't that a marvelous thought? He's not out to get us. God's intention is, is that we understand that his grace is sufficient even in the midst of our weakness, especially in the midst of our weakness. Hebrews chapter 4 says, we don't have a high priest that's not touched by the feeling of, of our infirmities, but he sympathizes with our weakness. All I want to say is that when your theology is right, then you can be steadfast in tough times. If you really know God, the more you know God, the more you're able to deal with this. The writer of Psalms, that one of the sons of Korah said this, be still, that means wait, be slow to hear, or excuse me, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And know, understand, realize, appreciate, trust that I am God, almighty, compassionate, merciful, present father, protector. Be still and know that I'm God. Have you ever dealt with a situation where you said to your kids, I know from experience that God's going to care for us? Yeah, that's what I had. That's what I did when uh, when I resigned. I, I sat down with my kids and I said, you know, I don't know what's I don't know what the future holds, but I do know from personal experience that God's God will care for us. And and the amazing thing is is how He cared for us. I mean, I mean, it was like um, immediately we found a job. I mean, somebody in church hired me. Somebody knew that we had an, a, a medical insurance problem. He, he said, you can. You can um, work for me, and we'll provide and we'll provide some medical insurance for your family. Um, when when I finally decided I was going to be, you know, when I finally, which which I say, relented, and uh, and and started looking toward being a mission, toward missions, um, I wrote to churches, and and they were amazing in their response to us. And then somebody came to me and said, you know, I've seen your car and, and it's not worthy of, of driving all over the place. Um, how about let's exchanging cars while you're, on, while you're doing deputation, while you're seeking support. And so they gave me a brand new car and they, went, and they started driving my car. And, and you know, it, it's really interesting raising support when you drive into a parking lot with a brand new car. I had a person hand me a credit card with my name on it. Can you imagine that? And their, and their, um, uh, their statement to me was that I wasn't using it enough. God was assuring us that we were on the right path. And, um, and when we got to Russia... It was really amazing because I was, I was the head of a team of six people. And, and as, soon as, we, as soon as we arrived, everybody got busy except me. 
I mean, they were all doing, they were all involved in lots of different things. And, um, and it just seemed like, why in the, you know, I wondered why was I here doing it because everybody was so busy. And, um, but then God wasn't finished teaching me what it means to wait. There was so much for me to learn. I had to learn about culture. I had to learn about the dedication of, of, of servants that were right there in Russia. I mean, Russian people, there were dedicated servants who were, who were seeking to serve God with all their heart. I had to learn about a biblical strategy, and, and if I'd have rushed into things, I'd have missed all that. But when the time was right, the opportunities, I mean, they went ballistic. You know, it was, uh, I, we arrived in June. I, somebody asked me to teach in, in, in October, and, and from that point on, it was like, things exploded. And, um, and it, started, it started in Moscow, and then it just like mushroomed from Moscow to, to, to Ukraine, to Central Asia, to, I mean, and, and then China, Mongolia, India, Turkey. I mean, just like unbelievably, unbelievable opportunities that God gave and uh, it was God's way to show that he had the ability to care for us and that we could wait for him. James was talking about the theology of perseverance. It's a critical part of the Christian life. It's interesting. That God is interested in helping us know that we're weak and that we need him and that he's in control. We have examples of patience. I was riding on a I was riding on a plane recently, and uh, and the the the, uh, the pilot said, um, "There's going to be some rough weather ahead, so I want the flight attendants to sit down." And I'm wondering, okay, that doesn't happen very often. I mean, there's bumps, but you know, when the flight attendants have to sit down, there's got to be really rough, rough weather. And um, and have you ever? Have you ever noticed, I mean, have you ever, anybody ever ridden on a plane and, and the pilot says that? And have you ever wondered, how in the world does he know that? Well, the reason why he knows that is that there's other planes that have gone through that weather and they, and they message back to, to the other pilots that they know are on the same course, on the same track, and say, this is, this is what's what you're going to face. Well, that's exactly what the church family is all about. We have, we are, we are a part of a group that, that is, that can have, we have examples for others, people. We're living an example for other people and they're watching us. And, um, and it's, and, and, you know, it's, Timothy, it, Paul says to Timothy, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. We, Tim, uh, Paul is saying to Timothy, you've watched me in, and you have, you've seen my patience and my steadfastness. The very areas that Timothy is talking, uh, that James is talking about here, Paul said that Timothy learned by watching him. And that's why it's important for us to understand that, that we have examples of patience in our own lives. But, James points to three examples for us. 
the farmer prepares and plants and waits. You know, I'm sure you, all of us have driven past fields in the, in the springtime and wonder what in the world is going on there. Um, and and, the, and the, the, the fields are already planted. Everything that really is really important happening is happening out of sight. Do you understand that? Un, it's happening. Uh, and, and most of the stuff that's happening in our lives that God's doing is out of sight. But the farmer trusts. He trusts that what he has prepared and what he has planted is going to happen because, because it, uh, he, just, he just trusts and waits. He does everything he can, but most of the stuff that happens is really out of sight. He's not digging in the ground and seeing if the seed's doing anything because he's come to the place in past experiences where he knows that something is happening. The prophets believed and proclaimed the word and were patient. Many times their message wasn't popular. Even those who should have been ready to receive the message were not very receptive. Even those who were going to be affected by the message were more interested in their personal lives or personal agenda than listening to God's word. Isaiah warned people and they wouldn't listen. Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel were all ridiculed. But even in the midst of rejection and physical, emotional suffering, they were faithful and steadfast to God. And the Lord kept his word. Job suffered. He endured and was steadfast. It's amazing that in the midst of physical agony and the indictment of friends, Job continued to exhibit his confidence in God, even through his own uncertainties. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. He said he was looking to the umpire that would understand. He never lost hope in the person of God, even though he may not have understood everything that was happening. And God revealed his grace and mercy even in those difficult times. Listen, listen to Job's final statement. I know, that I, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear now, my eyes see you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What a profound statement. His steadfastness, in his steadfastness, he not only discovered the wonder of God, but he knew something about himself. This is what James is talking about, by the way. If your situation helps you to know more about the goodness and mercy of God, and glory in him. If this helps you understand your weakness and move in trust, then patience and steadfastness has done its work. Tim Keller said this, Job never saw why he suffered, but he saw God, and that was enough. So, what about you? Maybe I should say, what about us? We know that the new, we don't really know what the new year holds for us. 
but we know that nothing is out of the control of the Lord, right? So, maybe there are plans that you've made, and it seems like nothing's happening. You know that you've done all that you can. Do not forget that there are things that are out of sight, out of control. Trust the Lord, remember the farmer, and be patient. Maybe you've spoken the word to those you love and have been abused and under, misunderstood and questioned or maybe even rejected. God's faithful, his word's true. Remember the prophets and be patient. Maybe you're dealing with private pain. You're coming to the end of yourself with family issues, physical problems, or other concerns, and to complicate things, your friends and family don't seem to understand. God will show himself strong. Remember Job and be steadfast. Remember that patience is responding with a settled confidence that God has everything under control. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to even look into your word and think about this this morning. Thank you for your kindness to us. And, um, and there's, there's obviously every one of us have areas in our lives where we need to uh, turn our attention, our faith, our focus on what you are doing, what you have done. You have shown yourself faithful. I pray that as we approach this year and all the complexities, all the fuzziness, all the fog that, that is a part of what may happen this year, Lord, may we be those who are confident and trust and respond in a way that shows our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our family members, that we are patient and trust you Help us to respond in patience and in steadfastness, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, everybody. It's so good to see you. Um, have a great day. Go in peace.